uh, we will uh, we'll take our scripture reading this morning, our, our initial reading, out of Exodus chapter 23, and we're just going to read the first three verses, Exodus chapter 23, the first three verses. And I have, uh, I have used this section of scripture you know, in the past quite a bit because uh, there's a mentality that is demonstrated here in these three verses of scripture, and specifically in the second verse of scripture, uh, that actually is what we would like to, to use for a thought this morning. And we'll get to the title uh, momentarily. But uh, starting with Exodus, in, in Exodus chapter 23, with verse 1, um, we, we read this way, where it reads as thus, Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. Neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. And so I'd like to stop there. And, uh, and having read that, you know, I'd like to, for us to hone in really on that second verse there. And be, really the first part of that second verse, thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. And that right there, those, those few words, what's uh, eight words, those eight words, they have done in a great number of people through the years. And a matter of fact, it's not only done in a great number of people, it did in a great number of angels in heaven, didn't it? Because there was a, numer a, a number of angels that followed after Satan when he rebelled against God in heaven, and they were cast out of heaven, and Jesus said that I beheld Satan fall as lightning when he was cast out of heaven. He says that in the book of Revelation. I don't think that verse of Scripture is talking about an event that happened in the future. I think that event that, that is talking about an event that happened in the past, the first time when the adversary reared his head against God's only begotten, which he wasn't begotten then, was he? Against God's only Son, and uh, and decided that he was going to have the preeminence for himself. And so he led a rebellion in heaven, and they followed after him, and they were cast out of heaven. And you see in that, the, the, the true... You see in that rebellion there, the, the, the beginnings of sin, or the origins of sin. Because... Most of the world today, or a lot of people in the world today, they like to accuse God of being the, the creator of sin, and God didn't create sin. What is it to sin? It's to turn away from God, isn't it? <laughs> well, God didn't create any of the angels with the expectation that they would turn away from Him. And I don't believe that He created man with with the intent in mind that man would fall. But I think he knew that man probably would fall. And why would he think that? Because if the angels that were in his presence rebelled against him, it's only natural uh, that a creation that is uh, put in a place where uh, we can only see him in types and shadows well, would eventually go astray, wouldn't he? 
But the angels have something, or the man has something that the angels do not have. And that is a plan of redemption. They have a plan of salvation. The angels have no plan of salvation. Uh, those angels that were cast out of heaven, uh, God created a place for them uh, when they were cast out, and it's called hell, and that's where they will spend eternity. And He didn't create hell with the intent that any person would ever inhabit it. Uh, he created hell for specific people, didn't he, or specific creations, and that was Satan and the angels that followed after him in the rebellion that took place in heaven. But we live here on earth, don't we? And if we said that turning away from God is really uh, in the worship of self, that's really what it is. It's ceasing to worship God and worshiping yourself. That's what Satan did there in heaven. Uh, and so uh, you see this happen here amongst the family of man. Uh, and so here uh, you can read about in the uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes where uh, Solomon, who is the presumed writer of Ecclesiastes and, and uh, of all of it, but uh, Solomon writes there in the book of Ecclesiastes um, that uh, all of that is vain. <laughs> And all of it is folly, meaning the things that happen under the all the things that we do under the sun. We do that for ourselves, and and all of that is folly. Uh, serving the Lord is why we are put in this world, isn't it? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter: to serve man, to fear him, and to, and to do his commandments. And so we look here uh, in this twenty third verse, and or twenty or this second verse of the twenty third chapter. I'll get it right in a minute, and uh, and. The Lord write, uh, or, and it says here that thou, the Lord giving a commandment, thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. This takes a mentality, doesn't it? This takes a certain mentality, and our, our topic, our, our topic today, or our subject today, is going to come not from you know any specific words that's stated in those eight words there in the second verse. The topic that we have today is the shepherd's mentality. Because a shepherd has to have a certain mentality, doesn't he, if he's going to execute the office of a shepherd. He can't execute it having the mentality of, I'm going to go along and follow the crowd, can he? You can't have somebody pastor a church uh, that says, well, I'm just going to pull the church and whatever, and I believe in, in, that the church has the uh, uh, in-church authority. And I believe that, that we're not lords over the church. But at the same time, if the church is going in the wrong direction, if the pastor allows the church to go in that direction, he's not fulfilling his office as under-shepherd of the church, is he? In John chapter 10, Christ says this. He says, Verily I say unto you that he that entereth in by the door, uh, not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way is, a th is the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door in the sheep, in, 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 entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. This is in John chapter 10 again, beginning of verse 1. I'm in verse 4 now. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, 
for they know not the voice of strangers. And so here Christ is saying uh, that all of my people are basically like sheep, isn't he? And he's saying, I am the door by which you enter into the sheepfold, and I am the shepherd of the sheep. Uh, and so here he's saying that when the porter opens the door, that the sheep will follow the voice of the shepherd. And uh, and so I believe that that is the truth there. And if we go on down a little bit, Christ will talk about the, himself here. Uh, and he says in the 11th verse, he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling. And so this right here, we're getting into this discussion. Is your pastor, is your pastor a shepherd or is he a hireling? Is he there merely because of the money that the church gives him or is he there because he truly loves the sheep? Does he tend to the flock? Does he feed the flock of God? Because these are all things that the pastor is required to do, isn't it? And so here we look at this mentality that's wrapped around this. And so uh, what, what are we trying to get to? What are we trying to say? There's a lot of people in the world today that like to be in the position, but they don't want to execute the office, don't they? And that doesn't just go in the church. That goes in civil government. That goes right on down the line, doesn't it? They're just there for the money. They could care less about anything else. And I can even show this to you in a man who runs his business. And if he, if the man who's got the skin in the game there, who, who's got the money in the business, if he never is there, if he's totally hands-off, that business is invariably going to fail because the people that he puts in place over it, unless he finds really, really high quality people to be under shepherds of his money and to treat his money as their money. That business is going to fail because they're only there for a paycheck. They don't care about anything else. And if the business fails, so what? I'll go find another job. That's the mentality in the, in, of a hireling, isn't it? An under-shepherd looks at the money of the, uh, of the business, of the owner there, and he says, I'm blessed to be put in this position. And, and so I'm going to treat his money as if it's my money. I'm going to manage it the way he would have us to manage it. I'm not going to dig a hole and put that shekel in the ground uh, because I know he's going to want his money back. Uh, instead, I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it wisely so that when he comes back to get it, he's not just going to get back that initial investment that he put in it, is he? He's going to get back more. He's not just going to get 10 shekels back. He's going to get 20 shekels back. He's not just going to get 5 shekels back. He's going to get 10 shekels back. He's going to take that which the owner has given him and he's going to double it uh, because of the way that he treats it with respect and he manages it. That would otherwise be known as the parable of the talents. Just spoken of in a different context. Probably never thought about the parable of the talents that way, have you? I, I know I certainly hadn't. Not to that, not that degree. As an investment, God has an investment in His church, doesn't He? He wants to see His church thrive. He wants to see it grow. He wants to see it have an influence and a sway on the, on the area that it's in. Why? Because it's not His will that any would perish. He didn't create Adam 
with the intent that man would die. If Adam had never eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam would be alive today. I believe that wholeheartedly. But we're talking about a shepherd's mentality. Now, right, Jesus is the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Now, I'm certain, any pastor, one thing that should never happen in churches is pastor worship. Uh, we can read in scriptures uh, where the, uh, the church there at Corinth, one of the great things that allowed them to be led away into so many doctrines and fallacies and, and heresies was the fact that they had uh, engaged in preacher, preacher worship, isn't it? We worship God, not man. And that goes for the preacher too. We're called for a point and a purpose to serve and execute in an office, aren't we, as an under-shepherd of the Lord. We're not the shepherd. We're the under-shepherd. But we're supposed to feed the flock of God, aren't we? Just the same as the shepherd feeds and cares and tends to his flock. We'll look a little more here in just a minute. What about those sheep? What if they go astray? What's the shepherd's mentality? When a sheep goes astray. We don't have to guess. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus told us what the, what the mentality of the shepherd is. He was using a little child. He was talking to his disciples and he was teaching them a lesson. And this verse of Scripture gets used all the time to, to use it about little children. But he's not teaching about little children. He's teaching about babes in Christ, isn't he? He's teaching about new converts. He's teaching about people who are growing, in, uh, who are uh, engaging upon the effort of growing in grace and knowledge of the truth. And in the 10th verse here in the 18th chapter of Matthew, he says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Who's that? These babes in Christ. Remember, he's talking to his disciples. When you get saved, that's a new birth, isn't it? Well, you're going to be nourished on the milk of the word up until the point in time when you can be weaned off the milk of the word and you can endure, and you can endure strong meat, can't you? It's not the shepherd's job that the sheep would stay on milk their whole life, is it? Eventually, they're going to have to transition off of milk and they're going to have to start eating solid food. And the shepherd's supposed to help in that process. Or I'll say the under-shepherd in our case. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their, angel, the, their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye? If a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, 
Doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? Well, the shepherd, he has a vested interest in the sheep, doesn't he? He wants to see the sheep thrive. He wants to see the sheep prosper. But he also wants to make sure that with as much, uh, as much as it possibly within him, that the sheep are safe, doesn't he? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you that he rejoiceth more of that sheep than the ninety and nine which not which went not astray. Well, it's a wonderful thing when the shepherd, when you can recover one of the lost sheep. And we love to see the lost get saved. We do. Well, as we think about this shepherd's mentality, you know, we take that verse of scripture that was there in the uh, in the second chapter of Exodus twenty-three: "Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil." And don't you know that's the expectation that a shepherd is going to have, and that that demonstrates itself differently from the beginning of the Bible right on down through the end of the Bible. And we'll look at a couple instances here. We'll look at in Second Peter two and five. And God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. You know what? Noah was the last one on the ark. He made sure his wife got on before he did. He made sure his sons got on before he did. He made sure his son's wives got on before he did. And then lastly, Noah was the last one to enter into the ark. Boy, it's the shepherd's job to make sure that he puts not himself first, isn't it? And Noah was a preacher of righteousness is what the Bible tells us. And he did preach righteousness. But Noah preached a lonely life, didn't he? Because I don't believe other than his sons and their daughters, not one person, and I think you could argue that not all of his sons were saved. I think that was a promise that God made unto him uh, that if he would do this, he'd save his family. Uh, but nevertheless, at the preaching of Noah... There wasn't anybody that was saved in that antediluvian world. Here he was preaching the whole time he's endeavoring to build this ark, and people laughed at him, they mocked at him, they made fun of him, but nevertheless he just kept pounding away, working away at what he was doing, making a statement, didn't he? Every time he may have driven a nail, every time he would have laid a board, every time he would have put a joint together, every time he's making a statement that he's a shepherd to the lost world. What do you mean he's a shepherd to the lost world? He's trying to get those stubborn goats to go in the right direction, isn't he? But they won't listen. And I use that. I use goats intentionally. Bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. You see, it's going to be the goats that stand on the left hand. Of God. You see, we're all goats until we're made a new creature in Christ Jesus, and then we're a lamb. Then we're a sheep, aren't we? 
we get changed from a goat to a sheep, and we're able to enter into the into the sheepfold. We're able to go in and out and find pasture. Uh, we're able to have our needs supplied to us by the good shepherd, which is God. Uh, and so here we read about this, about another shepherd that's in the Old Testament, and that was Moses. And we're going to read about the account in Acts chapter 7 that's given. Uh, and it says, And Moses was learned in all wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full... Uh, and when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Noah's lived 40 years. And it hasn't, and he hasn't gone down specifically for the intent purpose to see how the Israelites are doing in the condition that they're in, in their oppression at the hands of Pharaoh, which knew not Joseph. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him. And he avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Shepherd is sometimes misunderstood, isn't he? In his zeal for the sheep. He's sometimes misunderstood, and sometimes even the sheep don't think he's what he that he's a that he's the shepherd of God. And they'll doubt him. And they did, they doubted Moses in this instance. But Moses showed himself to be a defender of the sheep, didn't he? He said, I saw the sheep under attack. There's another man who gives an account of that when he says, uh, I see that Philistine that's standing out there. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night. I see this Philistine that comes out every day and every night defying the armies of the living God. But I want you to understand this, that the God that delivered me out of the hand of the paw of the lion and the bear is going to deliver me out of the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. And David looked at him and he said, he may be a big eight foot, nine foot, ten foot man. There's a disputation as to how tall he was. He may be a big man, but I'll tell you this, he's no better than the beast that God let me slay in the wilderness for the sake of the sheep. <laughs> well, you got to be fierce when it comes to defending the flock, don't you? That's something that's not really looked at today as something that's a, a, an admirable quality, but you cannot be given to every wind of doctrine and defend the flock. you got to defend, you got to watch over the flock. When Paul, uh, who was tasked with the care of not one church, but all the churches, whenever he would hear of a heresy or a false doctrine that had crept in, you know what he did? He, got, he immediately either started making plans to go visit them or he got his... I'm going to say he got his quill. I'm not sold that they used quills. I don't know what they used to write back then. But I'll tell you this, he got whatever they used to write with and he got some some paper and he sat down and he penned a letter to them and he sent it to them to correct their doctrine and to correct their theology. Sometimes, the sh and we've already seen this, but a lot of times the shepherd's going to stand up against the sheep, isn't he? 
if the sheep's going the wrong direction. We see this in the Old Testament again in Joshua chapter 24, or sorry, Numbers 13 and 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. See, there was only two spies that spied out the land of Canaan and said, We can take this land. The other ten said, No, we don't want, we don't want to fool with them. Why? Because it's a land of giants. It's not one giant. It's a land of giants. Caleb and Joshua said, not a problem. See, that's that, that fierce spirit that's in a, in a shepherd, isn't it? We think a shepherd's going to be somebody who's going to be, you know, just weak and all, and all of the The shepherd is ferocious over the flock. He should be, he should have in, within him the, a heart just like the heart of God as it pertains to God's children. When God looks at his children and he says, I am jealous over my children. Joshua stood before the children of Israel in, that, in Joshua 24, 15, one of the most famous verses that's often quoted, and he challenged them, didn't he? In Joshua 24 and 15, uh, he said, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether it be the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood. See how he brought that all the way back to the time of Noah? He said, if you want to serve the same gods that your father served on the other side of the flood, go ahead. You see, he's not going to make them do something that they don't want to do. It's not the shepherd's job to circumvent the will of the sheep. But it is his job to maybe kind of navigate it. And so what does he say? He says, or serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house. In other words, Joshua said, hey, you all do what you want to do. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You may say, well, the church would never go away from the Lord. I would say wrong. Why does the Bible say that judgment begins in the house of God then? Getting back to David, David stood before the children of Israel and he said, they're standing there, they're cowering. David looks at him and says, is there not a cause? David was a shepherd in Israel, wasn't he? But David wrote in the 23rd Psalm that his shepherd was the Lord. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. <laughs> Elijah was a shepherd in Israel in the day that he lived. Elijah, Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain for a, in a, for a period, I believe it was three years. I'm going off memory here, so... Matthew, if I'm wrong, don't hold it against me. I'm going off memory. 
But Elijah played, prayed that God would shut off the rain from Israel for three years and they entered into this great drought. Uh, and, uh, and here, uh, he, uh, he goes up and he has this big confrontation with, uh, the prophets of Baal. Uh, he, he sends to Ahab and Jezebel, says, hey, gather all the prophets of Baal. We're going to go up on Mount Carmel. We're going to settle this once and for all. Elijah was playing the part of a shepherd over the house of Israel. God had put him there as an under-shepherd, and he had put him there so that he could direct them in the ways of righteousness, hadn't he? And just the same as Joshua, Elijah stood there before them, and he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? Isn't it amazing how man constantly falls back into the same problems time and time and time again. And the day and the age that we live in, we've deluded ourselves to such an extent that we believe we're smarter than they were. No, we weren't. The further you get away from Adam, the dumber we get. And you say, well, that can't be true. We know things today that they didn't know back then. Please, Adam named all the animals without having to be told what they were named. <laughs> what, do you call, what do you call an animal the first time you see it? God creates it and he says, here, Adam, you name it. What kind of intellect Adam had to be born with? It's amazing to sit and think about that, isn't it? He says, how long he be halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal be God, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Why? Because they were being challenged, weren't they? A shepherd challenges the flock from time to time. We'll have conversations. And I've had this conversation with Brother Carter many times. And he has, a, he has a saying uh, that I tend to agree with. The Christian community in the world that we live in today has been milked to death. <laughs> they, get, they get milked to death on the, on, on, the, on the basic tenets of the gospel. They don't get challenged to go beyond that any. And that's the whole role of an under-shepherd, isn't it? We want to praise the Lord in spirit and in truth. And sometimes we get mixed up on what is and isn't the truth, and that's where the under-shepherd's job. The spirit of the shepherd, the mentality of a shepherd is that they challenge it when those, when those thoughts go awry. A couple more, and then I'm going to... Oh, one more, and I'm going to close with this. And this really gets to the heart of, of the position or the job of the shepherd. And it really should... It really should possess the mentality of the shepherd. And it's in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 7. And God says this to Ezekiel, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them, from me. And there's the job of the shepherd, isn't it? 
When he sees the flocks in danger, he, he warns the flock and he ushers them away from the danger. And if he has to, he confronts it himself, doesn't he? And in whatever they endeavor to do, he makes sure that he doesn't put himself first, but just like Noah, he's last. And so we see here when we talk about this mentality of a shepherd, I'm going to close with a couple more verses out of the book of Ezekiel. God's complaint against Israel. I'm going to back up a little bit. Starting in the 22nd chapter in the 24th verse, he says, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring, like a, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned unholy things and have put no difference between holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths and I am and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood, to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar. Brother Matlock can tell us a little bit about that. I always thought you can just really you just use anything to hold a wall together, but that's not true. <laughs> they used untempered mortar, and you use untempered mortar, whatever your building is going to collapse. Seeing vanity and, divine, and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord hath not spoken, the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and the needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully, and I sought for a man among them that I should make up the hedge. God said, I was looking for a shepherd among them. Somebody to stand in the gap before me for the land that I would not, that I should not destroy it. You see, we talked about Moses. You know what the greatest example of Moses being a shepherd was? When they're there at Mount Sinai after they had reverted back into idolatry and there God had made the decision, all right, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to destroy them all and I'm going to start over with you. And Moses said, Lord, remember the promises that you made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And Moses begged the Lord that he would spare those people. And he showed that the real true spirit the real mentality of a shepherd is he's got to love the sheep. He's got to love the sheep. 
when sin is able to abound, now grace does much more abound, but before in the course of that, the love of many wax cold because of iniquity, doesn't it? And you see that here. The Lord says, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but have found no shepherd. Didn't find one. Couldn't find a Moses. Couldn't find a David. Couldn't find a Caleb or a Joshua. Couldn't find an Elijah or an Ezekiel. He didn't exist. And so finding them in a common state with Sodom and Gomorrah, meaning there's no righteous person in them, the only thing left for them is the wrath of God to be poured out on them in destruction and the abomination of desolation. You say, well, what does that mean? That means I'm going to empty the land. That's what it means to leave it desolate. And Jesus looked at them and said, Your house is left unto you desolate. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, they packed up everything they had and they headed for the coast, didn't they? They got out of Dodge. And Jesus said, When you see the abomination of desolation, you better, you better get out of Dodge because the end is coming. We don't know how God pours out His wrath and His indignation, do we? Now, we can look at it and we can say, well, we know in the past that He did it by flood, and we know at different times He used the armies of the Gentiles to do it. But we know in the future exactly how it's going to play out, don't we? See, just as it rained in the day of Noah, it's going to rain again in the day of God's fierce wrath. And it's not going to rain water, and there's not going to be water coming up from the ground. It's going to rain fire. And Peter tells us that, that it's going to be so hot that even the elements will melt. It's the role of a shepherd to tell you that you have got a hell to flee from, and that there is a heaven to be gained. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and the free pardon and forgiveness of sin, that you better get that right before it's too late. The Bible doesn't tell us that we have the promise of another day. And really the truth is, you have a breath in your body right now. You don't have a promise that in the next second that you're going to draw another breath. You say, well, you're just being mean, preacher. No, I'm not being mean. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't care. I would mind my own business. It's easy for a shepherd sometimes to get discouraged and say, you know what, I'm not going to do it anymore, Lord. Elijah ran for the rocks. He ran for the cave, the cleft in the rock. He said, they are, they, what's the point, Lord? We've already lost. They've killed all your prophets. They're all slain. I'm the only one that's left. But the Lord reminded him, I still have 7,000 that have not bowed knee to Baal in Israel. God always has a remnant, doesn't he? We don't know who, is it, who makes up that remnant. 
you may have a vast multitude of people make up that remnant when looked at in the totality of the course of human history. How many people are going to be gathered around the throne in heaven? 144,000? An innumerable company from every tongue and every tribe. See, Jesus is the good shepherd. He died on the cross that you'd have the opportunity to be saved. He did that out of love. I'm here today to tell you, heed that warning. Listen to the warning of the shepherd. Enter into the sheepfold through the door. Don't try to climb up some other way. There is no other way to get there. Humanity will tell you, oh, you don't have to get it that way. You can get it any way you want to. You can, you can just decide for yourself that you've got it. And just do these things and you're good to go. The sat- Satan has a multitude of lies that he likes to spread, doesn't he? If, he? if you don't get it right between you and God and you and God alone, there isn't a man alive who can look at you and say, Thy sins be forgiven. The only thing we can ask is that you show forth fruits, meat for repentance. What are the, what are, what's the evidence that you've been saved? Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. For the time comes... When no man will work. Nightfall's coming. And when it comes, that's going to be the final curtain on this, I'm going to say this word, on the experiment that has been the history of humanity. Seek the Lord while you may be found. He, he came into this world to die that you wouldn't have to. That's our message this morning. Pray you got a blessing out of it. If you're here today and you're lost, I pray you get saved. This, this, this altar is open. You can come up here anytime you want to. The, the invitation is always open. When the Spirit of God moves on your heart, that's when you need to go seek the Lord. Brother, Brother Williams, if you've got a song chosen.